All right. Um, I'm going to do a soft reboot this morning because we started this this week and I was looking through the material all week long and, and I was thinking there's a way to fine tune this and, and to just tweak it just a little bit. And so, uh, anybody ever watch Enter the Dragon? Bruce Lee? That one. Anybody else? Raise those hands. I got two. Okay. People, culture. Culture, okay? It's the greatest kung fu movie of all time, okay? Well, in this movie, I'm going to tell you about the scene anyway. Go home, YouTube it, or watch the entire film because it's great. And what you will see is there's this scene where it's a kung fu tournament. And Bruce Lee, who's the hero of the film, is watching the villain that he's about to fight. And the villain tries to intimidate him. And he does this by going through a series of breaking boards. And it's pretty impressive. Like, he's doing some pretty cool breaks. And they turn the camera to Bruce Lee, and he looks back at the guy, and he says, boards don't hit back. And I love that scene. I love that scene because his point is, dude, anybody can break a board that's just sitting there. We're not here to put on a demonstration or a show. We're here to fight. And you're going to find, when you throw a punch at me, I ain't going to stand still like the board does. I'm going to respond. I'm going to move. I'm going to do things. And the beauty of that to me has always been is do you understand the target that you're aiming at? Do you understand what your goal in life and as a disciple of Christ is? Now please listen to this because I don't want you walking out thinking, well, my pastor told me I should punch people. That is not what I was saying. Okay? What I'm saying is, is do you understand why we're here? Do you understand what it is we, the church, are supposed to be doing? As we go through this series and talk about the way of life, as we walk through the Romans road and basically talk about the basics of the gospel, what I don't want you doing is you going, you know what, I've been a Christian for 20 years. I can kind of zone out, this is nice, but I've already taken care of this. This message is just as much for you, who's been a believer for decades, as it is for the person who's hearing it for the first time. Why? Because you guys need to remember what your role is. I need to remember what my role is. You and I are not here so that you and I are good with God. We are here because we have a mission, which is to go make disciples of all nations. You have a job which is not only that you have come to know God, love God, and agree to serve God, but you are now supposed to go out with the gospel and with confidence, with power, with eloquence, with passion, with deep desire, share the gospel with others. Amen. And I'll be honest, I'm worried about that. I'm worried about that. I think a lot of us, and I'm not just talking about harmony, I'm talking about the American church, we have made Christianity an individual sport. We listen to a message, we hear a song, and we go, as long as I know that truth, I'm good. I'm good. I got my peace. I got my love. I've got my Lord. I'm good. No, you are not. God did not call you to encounter Him and then sit on the sidelines and prayerfully hope everybody else comes to Him. He has come and encountered you in your life and asked you to join His family, to join His army, and to go fulfill the mission of making more disciples. Amen. And I'll be honest, where, where I get nervous about this is I see people who've been in the church for decades. And if you ask them at church... 
surrounded by other believers to tell you about the gospel, they'll go, yeah, I don't yeah, I don't know. I'm not sure I could do that. Okay, well tell me your story. How did, how did you encounter God? You know, I don't really like talking about that stuff. You know, I don't I don't know the right things to say. If you don't know what to say at church to other believers, I have zero confidence throughout the week that you're fulfilling the mission. I have zero confidence to believe that you'll walk out those doors and at Whataburger or the break room or the gas station or HEB or at your house with your friends that you will take regular conversations and point them to the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you won't do it here, in the safest possible place to do that, why would we ever assume you'll do it outside those walls? I think the scariest thing to me is it has become totally acceptable in the modern church for the church to be full of people who don't like to do that and we're all okay with it. There, there, there is no standard. There is no pressure. There is no expectation that this room be filled with a bunch of passionate, unbelievably skilled individuals at sharing the gospel. That's wrong. Brothers and sisters, anywhere else in your life that you have something that you are passionate about, that you put time to, that you put energy to, there becomes an expectation at some point that you actually become decent at it. Right? Like, would we ever expect to go to a football team who's been playing for years and every time they get tackled, they lay on the field and cry? We'd be like, what have you been playing? You get tackled and you're crying and you're like, what happened? This is football. You get hit. You should kind of be one of those weird people who likes it. What, what do you mean this is weird to you? You don't like hitting. Do you know what sport you're playing? At work, if you have an employee who's been in your department for 10 years and after 10 years they're still acting like a brand new person, what conversation do you have to have with them? This may not be the job for you. Like, hey, it's one thing if day one, month one, even year one, we're struggling under, to understand how to articulate things, all the proper things to do and to say. But when we're in year four, five, six, ten, twenty, and it's like, hey, could you tell me about the basics of the gospel? I don't know. You should ask my pastor about that. What have you been doing? I think some of us have gotten really good at breaking boards. We've gotten really good at putting on a show. We've gotten really good at knowing what I'm supposed to say and what my schedule's supposed to look like and that Caleb needs to be my number one preset and I got a fish on the back of my car and I got a coffee cup that says I can do all things through Christ who makes it possible. But dear Lord, if somebody comes to you and wants to have a real conversation about the gospel, about your testimony, about why they need Jesus, all of a sudden, we're completely and utterly uncomfortable. And so as we go through this, there are two purposes in this. One is for you who have never heard this truth before to go, what do I think about these things? 
as I go through these verses, as I go through this truth, as I go through this scripture, have I taken the first step to internalize these and go, you know what? I've thought about these. I've tested these. And I believe these things. This is true for me. Then the second step is for all those that have already done it, wake back up. You don't get to go, I'm saved, so I'm done. No, you're saved means you're starting. The rest of you need to then be sitting there going, how would I say this to somebody? How would I walk someone through this? How could I at work, how could I in my day-to-day life, how with my neighbor or my friend, could I possibly start talking about these things? Because if this is the most important truth in the history of mankind, how can we say we love people when we don't share it with them? We can't. We can't. And so first, make sure it's true to you. Second, you be thinking about how you would share this with others. So I simplified a little bit. If you haven't been through the Romans Road, the whole goal here is in the book of Romans, Paul does an amazing job of breaking down the gospel for us. And so we're going to look at just a few verses that will help you articulate to somebody in one book what the gospel is. And it starts right here in Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The first thing you and I have to realize, the first thing anybody has to realize is, is that you are a sinner, which basically equates to you're not good enough. If what you and I are hoping for is peace, paradise, perfection, love, eternity and bliss, the reality for each and every one of us, you're not good enough. None of us are. There is not a single human being besides Jesus Christ who's ever lived who could put together a resume that they could hand to God and say, this is why I should be in heaven. What everybody's resume to God says is, I'm a sinner. Every single one of us. The Pope, Mother Teresa, whoever you can think of, your mom, still a sinner. All of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So what's the takeaway? Every single one of us is a sinner. And I know we don't like talking about this anymore. We don't like talking about sin anymore because it's like, oh, it's judgmental. Oh, I don't want to talk about sin because that makes me feel bad. I want to go to church and feel inspired. I want to go to church and feel uplifted. I want to talk to people about the positive. And guess what? You can. You should. This is how you get them there. And we're going to see that today. If you don't realize you're a sinner, if you don't realize you need to be saved, then a Savior has no value to you. If you think you can do it on your own, you have no need for God. And so the good news that He brings, the love, the forgiveness, the mercy, the power, all these blessings that He brings with Him, if you sit there and arrogantly go, I don't need them, it doesn't matter. You don't see anything of what He brings as a gift. It's why throughout all the New Testament, the Pharisees were continually the enemies of Christ. It wasn't because they didn't have knowledge. It was because their knowledge made them think, I'm good. I don't need help. I don't need to be saved. And so when God Himself shows up in physical form and stands before them, they're like, who cares? I don't need you. 
I'm good. Everyone is a sinner. The second stop, Romans 5.8. But God demonstrates His own love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so this is where the good starts to come in. Right? A sinner is an enemy of God. Because ultimately, here's what sin is. Ultimately, sin is, is we know that God wants us to go one way and we're standing over here going, God, you're wrong. God, you're wrong. I know you want me to do this. I want you, you want me to behave this way. I know you want me to live life this way. I think you're wrong. I'm going to do my own thing. Anytime we sin, what we are basically doing is standing before God and going, you're an idiot. I know better. Now think, do we really want to say that? That terrifies me to think about standing. Like, would any of us before God stand in front of him and go, you're an idiot, God. I'm not going to listen to you. Oh my gosh, is that the most terrifying picture in the world? Can you imagine standing toe-to-toe with God and saying that? I wouldn't even stand before my own father and say that. I'd be dead. Let alone God Almighty. Yet we need to understand every day when we know what He wants us to do and we run the opposite way, that's what we're saying. And the beauty of God's love for us is this. While we're sinners, while we're running and saying, you're an idiot, you don't know right, I know better, He goes, I love you so much that even though right now you're running the wrong way intentionally, I'm going to do what's necessary to save you. Even though right now you don't love me, even right now that you don't hate you hate me, even right now that you don't want me in your life, I love you so much, I know you're on a path of destruction. And I'm going to do whatever it takes up to the point of my own death to save you. And think about that, brothers and sisters. This is where like his love is just so different from the world. Like the world teaches us if you have something of value. You don't give that freely. If you have something of value, you don't give it to people until they give you something first. Right? You commit to me first. You give me your money first. You give me your time first. You give me your energy first. You give me your love first. Then I will give you the precious thing I have. Now God. God gave His life and offered you life when you were still cursing Him. When you still stood in opposition, He said, I love you so much. I'm going to do what I need to protect you. You know why? Because it's the love of a father. Right? If you're a parent, you understand that. You understand sometimes when your kids run against you, you still are going to do whatever you got to do to help them and to provide for them because you care more about them than you do yourself. The beauty of the gospel is right here, but I want you to understand something. This is the most beautiful thing. But what happens to it if we strip out the whole concept of being a sinner? It's suddenly not beautiful. If it it just said, but God demonstrates His own love towards us, that He died for us. Well, did I need Him to die for me? Why did He do that? I didn't ask Him to do that. He went and ran and sacrificed. I didn't need sacrifice. The beauty comes from understanding where we were and what He did when we were in that spot. 
And if you don't take to heart that starting point of where you were, you miss the entire gift He is offering. Everyone's a sinner, but God still loves us. That's the beauty. Everyone's a sinner, but God still loves us. So we go from Romans 3.23 to Romans 5.8, and then we jump to Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. And so this is an important part. This is an important part because this is where you come into the equation, right? You and I are sinners. We're born that way. We live that way. We act that way. That's who we are. Christ sees that. He doesn't throw us away. He doesn't ignore us. He instead actually does an unbelievably sacrificial thing and dies for us. And then you and I are left with this choice right here. If we keep running as our own lords... If we keep running each day and say, I'm my own master, I will run my own path, I will make my own decisions, I'm in charge of my life, then we know where that leads. It leads to one place. Death. Now don't get me wrong, you may have fun along the way. You might find some instant gratification along the way, but where you and I are so short-sighted as we act like this hundred years that we may get here on earth is everything? A hundred years in the framework of eternity is nothing. Has anybody else hit the age where you just can't believe how fast time flies? When I was in high school, if you told me something was six months away, I was like, why are we even talking about that? Six months? God, I was, who knows where I'll be in six months? Now you tell me something's next year. And I'm like, what? It's going to be here before you know it. Like, do you guys ever have that? I had this last weekend. Do you ever have that? You're sitting at lunch like, on Friday, and you're like, the weekend's over. And you're like, how? Because I can run you through the whole weekend. Right, it's 5 o'clock, we're going to rush home, i got to change, we've got to go to that one thing, we're going to come home, we're going to be late, we've got to put the kids in the bed, then we'll wake up in the morning, we've got two soccer games, and we've got to go to the baby shower, then we've got to come back, i got to finish the sermon, then I'm going to go to bed late, I'm going to wake up, I'm going to get to church, I've got these meetings, these meetings, this meetings, i got to go to this event, then we're going to my parents' house, and before you know it, it's 9 o'clock, we're behind schedule, no lunches are made, the kids still need to be bathed, and it's Monday morning and I'm behind. And I know that Friday at noon. You ever have those moments? I have those weeks sometimes where like I'm sitting there Sunday night like it's Friday already I can play out the entire week life goes so fast my kids I don't know it's like every time I have one more it accelerates the timeline I feel like I'm in fast forward like the first one the first six months you're like oh my gosh this is so precious now I look up and she's like eight months old when that happened and the second one's talking and walking. But we don't call him the second one at home. We call him Jake. But time goes by fast. And so along the way, you may have these momentary moments of fun, but all of it leads to death. That's why we got this picture sometimes of God with His rules as being this guy who doesn't want us to have fun. 
right? Because he's like, don't do this, don't do that, don't do this, don't do that, don't do this, don't do that. And we're like, this stinks. This guy only focuses on what we're not supposed to do. He's not doing it to hamper your fun. He's doing it because he knows all of that just leads to death. And if you don't believe me, go home today and watch one of the 27,000 reality shows that are on TV. And ask yourself, as you watch those celebrities who have fame, beauty, popularity, and money, as we look at their unveiled lives now, do they really seem like they're better? It may be fancier cars, it may be fancier clothes, it may be more cash in the bank account, but let's be real when we really see their lives. They're as empty as everybody else's. In fact, often they're more lost. Because to you and I, we're still fools on the journey who believe, man, if I could just get a little bit more money, my problems would go away. Right, man, if you could just give me like $5,000 right now, it would clear up so many of the issues and the stress that I have. If I could just get that, that next promotion, it's going to solve everything. Well, those people are sitting there going, I got millions. And I still feel incomplete. I actually have everything the world said to go get and I feel as empty as I did when I had none of it. That's why we often see them stuck in addiction. They don't know where to go anymore. You and I, we're still chasing the carrot. They've got the carrot and they're still hungry. And so what we have to realize, well, Christ died for us. You and I still have to make a choice. In His death, He lays this gift at your feet and says, if you will take it, I'll give you life like you've never felt before. I'll wipe away the sin. I'll wipe away the guilt. I'll wipe away the shame. I will bring you into my family and you will feel love and purpose like you've never felt before. But you've got to choose. You've got to choose on whether you want to keep running your own way. And if you do, you'll have that freedom. But all you're running to is death. Or you can stop. You can turn around and you can start to follow me and I will lead you to life. Real life. You have to choose though. You have to choose. We've earned death. But we are offered life. That's what God brings. He doesn't bring a philosophy. He doesn't bring a set of rules. He doesn't bring religion. He brings you life. Real life. What you've been hungering for and yearning for forever. To feel alive. That's what He brings. You have to choose though. You have to choose. And it's amazing how many of us, we see this choice and we still run to death. Both of them are laying out there. From Romans 6, we go to Romans 10.9. But if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. So what do you and I have to do? We don't have to put together a long list of amazing achievements. We don't have to go save three other people who save three other people who save three other people to get to heaven. That's not a pyramid scheme. 
We don't have to have so many hours at church or so many times through the Bible. All we have to do is confess Him as Lord. Now, let me clarify one point there. Confess Him as Lord. That's different from mentally acknowledging that Jesus existed and died for you. When you say someone is your Lord, that word is equivalent, could be translated the same as Master. In fact, throughout your New Testament, when you see the word servant, we have always kind of cheated when we've translated that word. The Greek word is doulos. The best translation of the word doulos is not servant. you know what it is? It's slave. The best translation of the words Lord and servant are master and slave. But for historical context, we've always been very nervous of using that word slave. Because it has a very negative connotation. Because when we've seen man in a master-servant relationship, a master-slave relationship, we typically see a very unkind master treating another human being as not even human, as an object. And when we've seen that happen over and over and over again, we now fill that relationship with this sense of brutality, coldness, selfishness. And that is true when it's a sinner and a sinner. But when the Master is perfect, when the Master is love, is peace, is patience, is power, is kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, when He is all the things that are perfect and right, when that's the Master, you actually find being His slave is amazing. You actually find in that place with Him paving the path, with Him leading the direction, with Him giving you the steps, your life is so much better than it could have ever been with you being the Master. Why? Because even you and I, as selfish as we may be, as as motivated as we may be to have the best personal life for ourselves, the reality is we're still flawed. Even if I want to go for the best thing for me, because I'm a mess up, I'll probably mess it up. But when you take God Almighty, who doesn't make mistakes, who is not flawed, who is not broken, and you put Him in charge of your life, and He goes, you are my child. I shaped you in your mother's womb, and I love you unlike any other. When that perfect and powerful being paves the path for your life, it is so much better than you could ever do yourself. So much better. I was at work the other day and someone asked me my long-term plan. And I said, this sounds really bad. I don't have one. My long-term and short-term are the same. Listen to God and do as He asks. That's it. Because what I've learned is my plans stink. My plans are terrible. They're short-sighted. They're not aspirational enough. They're small. And every time I've actually given myself over to God and let Him lead, He brings me things I would have never jumped up for myself. All the things in my life that I am so blessed to have, so joyous to have, came from His plans, not mine. 
In fact, as I look back over time, I am so thankful that none of my well-thought-out plans ever came true. Because most of them would have led me to not have all the things in my life that I love. And so I've reached a point where I'm like, God, you lead the way. I want to know what you want me to do. I want to know where you want me to go. Because I don't want to be in charge. You are my Lord. My Master. And so don't confuse this because a lot of Christianity has turned this into easy believism where all I have to do is go, oh yeah, I think Jesus existed. I think He was a good guy. He could have been the Son of God. Sure, yeah, I'm good with that. I'm a Christian now. No, you're not. Mental acknowledgement of facts does not make you a disciple of Christ. You know how we know that? Satan. Satan knows more about Jesus Christ than you and I ever will. Not a disciple. Not a servant. Not part of a family. Right? Satan has seen things with his eyes and watched Christ do things you and I have never seen. He knows all those facts about Him, but He will never confess Him as His Lord. Will He confess Him as the Son of God? Absolutely. Will He confess Him as the Messiah? Absolutely. Will He confess all these things as being factual? Absolutely. But it doesn't make Him a Christian because He doesn't confess Him as Lord. And so brothers and sisters, where that is a huge thing for you is... That is about you choosing to let God lead. It's not about you going, I think that could have happened. It's about you saying, I know that happened. And from this point forward, I follow Him. His will, not mine. His legacy, not mine. His glory, not mine. I was a sinner, but God loved me died for me, and now He gives me a choice. And if that choice is the right choice, I will confess that He is my Lord. But then there's one other thing He does for us. Romans 15, 5-6. through Now may the God who gives perseverance and encouragement grant you to be of the same mind with one another according to Christ Jesus, so that with one accord you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Besides making you right with Him, do you know what He does? He gives you a family. He gives you a family that in one spirit and in one voice, with one focus, is all moving to do the same thing. That's why at this church, the lights are on. That's why at this church, we learn your name. That's why at this church, we ask you to be a member because we're not... We're not excited about the number of people in the pews. We're excited about the number of hearts and souls that are part of the family. The people that have come here for the same reason, for the same passion, for the same purpose, which isn't us. It's not about making the name of Harmony great. It's about making the name of God glorious. It's about all of us with our differences, our different backgrounds, skills, talents, and abilities going, we have one thing in common. We've all fallen on our knees and asked Him to be our Lord. And in that, we come together to get His work done. 
It's not about us. It's about Him. That's why the room looks like it does. We got people from different backgrounds and different places and different parts of the socioeconomic spectrum with different education levels and different jobs and different all kinds of stuff. But we're all brought together because we have the same Lord. One Lord. Now, that concludes my introduction to the sermon. I actually had... Let's see. I'm going to take a wild guess and go, I don't think I'm going to make it through today. So we're going to stop there. We're going to stop there with just simply going through the Roman road. But I want to talk to you about a couple things before we leave. One... Get serious. Get serious. If you're here, I want you here because you want the mission. I want you here not because you're trying to feel good about yourself, not because you're trying to be inspired, not because you're trying to fix something in your life. I want you here because God Almighty has sent His Son, Jesus Christ, and He is your Lord. And you are filled with His Spirit, and you are filled with a burning desire to fulfill the mission that He's given you, which is to lead other people to Him. And what I want you to start doing is I want you to start getting passionate about how do you become good at that. Look, at the end of the day, you're never going to save anybody. Only Christ can save. But you, you can get good at sharing the story, at sharing the gospel, at sharing the wisdom, at pointing people to the beauty that is in this book. And guys, it shouldn't be hard. It shouldn't be hard because it should be as simple and easy as talking to somebody about the people you love most in your life. If people ask me to talk about why I love my kids, I don't sit there and go like, oh gosh, I'm not prepared for this. I didn't write down anything. Um, I didn't memorize any of their heights or weights or favorite things. I, I don't know where to go on this. If I did that, you'd be like, idiot, just tell me about your kids. And I would be able to do that. I'd be able to tell you all the things I love about them and how they're so different and how they're so beautiful and how they're so awesome and why I love being around them each and every day of my life and what they've done to me and how they've changed me and how they challenge me and the things that I want to be different for them. I I could go on forever about them. Because I know them, I love them, and I spend time with them. If I can do that with those little sinners, because that's what they are, little sinners. They're beautiful little sinners, but they're little sinners. If I can do that with them, how much more so should I be able to sit here and talk to you about the endless, awesome, perfect, unbounded, almighty God? How much more should I be able to sit here and just go, what do you want to talk about with Him? Because I can go on for days about how awesome He is. He's so awesome. There's more of Him I've never even explored that would outshine everything I already know. Every time I go back to Him, there's something better to learn. Something more beautiful to see. And so I want you to start challenging yourself to not think a church is Sunday morning. Do you know what this is supposed to be? This is where you and I come back, recharge, because we're exhausted from all week being behind enemy lines and blasting the gospel to everyone. 
And on Sunday mornings, we come back and go, whew, need a little breather. It's good to be around some people who already know the truth, sing some songs, tell them how much I love them, get recharged, learn some new skills, learn some new wisdom, learn some new knowledge that I can then take and use this week. That's what this should be. This shouldn't be the game. This is halftime. Where we sit together as a team and go, great job, here's what we've done good so far, here's what we need to do better, are we ready? Get some water and let's go. And so I'm going to challenge you guys. Get into a small group. Get into a small group. Wednesday nights at 7 o'clock, we have classes in Spanish. We have classes in English. Sunday mornings at 9.30, we have classes for men and we have classes for women. At both those times, we have classes for the youth. We have classes for the children. And in those classes, you know what we do? You don't just sit and listen to me talk. You get to talk. You get to go, here's the parts I didn't understand. Or, hey, that sounds really great, but man, it's so hard to do on a weekly basis. Anybody else struggling with that? Because I've been trying to do that. I'm failing. And you know what you're going to find? Yes, other people are too. But as we talk, as we shape each other, as we grow, as we share, we'll get good at this. We'll find encouragement. And we'll realize we're not in this alone. Second, you get into this book. Get into this thing. Man, this thing has got to be your friend. You should be able to hold this and use this and wield it like nothing else. Because it's your sword. So let's get real. Let's get focused. Let's get passionate. If you come back on Wednesday night, James will lead you through the rest of the sermon that I didn't finish today. And if you come back on Sunday, Donna and James will take you through the other parts of the sermon I didn't get through today. Let's go ahead and go to the Lord in prayer. Father, Father, we thank you for loving us. Father, we thank you that even when we were sinners, even when we were running against you, you loved us with the love of a father and you sacrificed yourself for us. Father, what a glorious thing it is to be your child. To look around this room and see brothers and sisters of faith. Father, I pray that you will mold us, that you will shape us, that you will use us to accomplish the mission. Father, may you make the fires in our hearts burn bright. And may we be on fire for you. Lord, we love you. We trust you, and we will follow you. In the wonderful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.